0: In the message given to St. Faustina by our blessed Lord, Jesus told her that we most resemble him when we do this one thing. What is it? The answer next.
1: Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley.
0: Blessed Friday. Welcome to the program. This is The Inner Life where we offer spiritual direction for Today, my name is Brooke Taylor, filling in for Patrick Conley. St. Faustina wrote in her diary, the words of Jesus, number 1148, that we resemble God most when we forgive, when we forgive our neighbors. And we may know this in our head. We may have interiorized the truth of that in our heart, but when it comes to exercising that action... It remains one of the hardest things to do, and we can be pretty good at looking for loopholes and justifying unforgiveness, especially if the perpetrator of our pain is impenitent. There are some key scriptures and teachings that we want to examine this hour that may just offer a breakthrough in the inner life in properly understanding and being able to exercise forgiveness With God's grace and loving our enemies. And we have the man for the mission, Father Dave Heaney, our spiritual director today. Father Dave grew up in Thousand Oaks, California, was ordained for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles in 1978. In 1991, receiving a master's degree in marriage, family, and child counseling from the University of Southern California. His latest book is Luke 10 Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry, a book on parish leadership available from Amazon. And he is now the pastor of St. Bruno Catholic Church in Whittier, California. Pleased to have him join us on the program today. Welcome to the Inner Life, Father Dave.
2: Thank you. I am delighted to be here. What a great topic.
0: It is. I have no doubt we will have a full, powerful show today. And as we get underway, I want to begin with scripture with jesus in matthew 5 38 through 48 and we'll work our way through um, the various full scripture but it comes from the sermon on the mount our lord is teaching here about the response to insults and persecution so he begins you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say to you offer no resistance to one who is evil when someone strikes you on your right cheek Turn the other one to him as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Heavenly Father. And he goes on and we'll unpack and explore the full scripture message. But that's a lot right there to begin with, Father Dave. What are some aspects of this gospel and just that excerpt
2: that strike you? What strikes me is how much is contained in just these few verses. It is so powerful. It is so rich. It is so deep. And, and, you know, we can kind of glide over the, the verses so quickly, but uh, you read it in a nice, slow manner, and it really kind of sinks in. I think uh, the first thing that strikes everybody, I think, is this remarkable phrase, love your enemies. You know, love your neighbor occurs a number of times in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, a lot of people like that idea to, you know, love the nice people around you. But to love your enemies uh, really stands out. It's the most amazing three words, I think, in any... Holy Scriptures anywhere. I don't think it appears anywhere else in any scripture of any faith, uh, except in the words of Jesus, to love your enemies. It is so counterintuitive. And I think that all those verses that are the most counterintuitive, that are the most shocking, tend to have the very best lessons, uh, because they're so remarkable. But I think the first thing we want to talk about when we say love your enemies, first of all, that we understand love in the way that Jesus meant it. It's not a feeling or an emotion, it's a decision. It is a choice that you make to will the authentic good of another person, as Thomas Aquinas explained, to will the good of another person, the authentic good of another person. So it's a decision. It doesn't mean liking, Uh, you know, it can be accompanied by emotions, but it is not primarily emotion. So when we say love our enemies, it doesn't mean that we have to like them. Uh, And of course, we we don't forget or ignore any of the bad behavior that they do. We're not sweeping it under the rug or pretending it's not there. We have we, we, we open our eyes and see what's actually going on. But even if this person is, is a bad person doing bad things, when we love them, we are wishing the best for them, that they change. You know, our love can be a wish that they change that bad behavior, that they stop robbing banks or whatever it is they're doing or, you know, insulting you. So love is a choice that we make uh, to will the good of another, uh, whether that person acts well or or not. And, you know, at first glance, that may be hard to swallow, but I think the more that we reflect on it and meditate on it, we can see the the power of it and, and the goodness of how Jesus invites us to love our enemies.
0: And I think too, Father, that also doesn't mean that we ignore or no. forget the evil that was done.
2: No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, and I think that's the thing that I think pe- because people equate love with warm, fuzzy feelings and warm emotions about someone else, uh, they, they tend to kind of quickly jump to that idea that that means that we're going to ignore or sweep under the rug or pretend that we don't see the bad behavior that someone does. Uh, so, you know, I mean, right now the, the news is a lot about, you know, the Russian-Ukraine war, you know, uh, President Putin. So what does it mean to love? person like that, it means that we wish that they change. Because the kind of be- bad behavior that they're doing is not good for them. It damages their soul. It damages their uh, their life. And so we want them to have the kind of life that Jesus wants for them. So our love for them is to call them away from that behavior. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're not trying to, you know, punish them or hurt them. We want them to change. So that that's it. It's It really is just wishing no harm. On, on anyone, uh, and certainly wishing the best for them. And if they are doing bad behavior, you know, then our prayer and, and whatever we can do to help them change, those are all acts of love.
0: We're talking about loving your enemies forgiveness would love to open the phone lines if you have a story an insight an experience 914 9149 is the number to call and one of the most extraordinary examples of that of what you're saying father of not ignoring not forgetting but choosing making the decision to forgive is a woman that I met I was uh, speaking in a church in New York it was I think it was 2019 but mm-hmm. after this particular talk and it focused on a bit of our my own testimony our, our family my husband our children and miscarriages and in infertility we have four sons and then we're led to Poland and adopt our daughter in mm-hmm. Chestohova Poland she has some special needs and so I was sharing all of this and going into the extraordinary detail and at the end of the day at this talk there was a beautiful young woman who was kind of hanging back and after i had you know conversed and went through the reception line she was there and remained and she came up to me to tell me something that I've never forgotten I go back to as a as a great illustration of what you're talking about here on forgiveness her name is Alex and she shared with me that she is a survivor of a botched abortion that she was born in Russia that her mother tried to have a chemical termination but it didn't work so the labor was induced early and Alex was born and she had some disabilities because of that chemical abortion attempt. And Mm. after she survived, her mother left her, abandoned her again, uh, left her in an orphanage. And, you know, her own mother tried to kill her. And then when she survived, abandoned her again, she had a mild cerebral palsy. And, uh, you know, as a result, God is good and faithful. And she was adopted into a home by a couple in New York raised in a good catholic family and today she is a wife and mother herself a faithful catholic woman but father you know as you rightly emphasize she made the decision to forgive she had asked our lord first to help have the desire and the grace to want to forgive and she i remember had shared with me that it was in counseling and the counselor pointed out that when when her biological mother attempted that abortion she didn't know the person that Alex would become, Mm -hmm. that the decision in that moment was likely made in desperation of her present circumstance and not with the perspective of a girl named Alex with such beauty and kindness and humor and a family and all that would come to pass with the gift of her life. And and the pro-life implications of that, first of all, is uh, profound. But as it relates to forgiveness, she was given the grace to see from a perspective that allowed her to make that decision to not only forgive her biological mother, but to pray for mercy for her, and I just think that's such a potent illustration of your point that love yeah. is a decision to will another's yeah. good, but it doesn't mean that we ignore or forget right. the evil that was done.
2: What a remarkable story! And of course, it all began with that young girl uh, praying that she that she could have the grace to forgive, and you know, calling upon the Lord's grace to help her forgive. But, you know, this, the, I think you're it's so right. You know, whenever I encounter someone who is contemplating having an abortion or is talking about it, I'll often say, what else is going on in your life? And then I find out that there's poverty, there's stress, there's coercion, there's desperation, maybe there's some mental issues. You know, the, the decision to end a life is so counterintuitive to the way God made us that in order for that to happen, it usually is a result of a, maybe a tsunami of all kinds of other stresses that are going on in a person's life. So once you find out what else is going on in their life, and if you can maybe address all those, then the decision for abortion often goes away. But, you know, the mother here, you know, probably did have all these other things going on and, and just wasn't, you know, she had no idea of who, th- who this child would be. Um, which reminds me of, you know, what our Lord says on the cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. If the mother knew, you know, what kind of a life she had within her and what the potential of this life would be, you know, that would change, I'm sure, her whole decision-making process. Uh, So uh, it really is a remarkable story uh, of going on a different path than revenge. You know, very often our first impulse is when we are hurt or someone damages us in some way, we want to get even. We want to get back to them. And that's just almost impossible to do. Uh, we generally over, kind of overdo it, and then the person wants to get back at us, and we have this kind of cycle of revenge that goes up and up and up and up and escalates until some serious damage occurs. So she went on a different path, of, first of all, asking our Lord for the grace to forgive, and then receiving it, um, and, and has had a very meaningful life as a result of it. And, you know, her story, I mean, you know, we're you're telling it now on relevant radio and, you know, perhaps millions of people are hearing this story as well. So what happened to her in Poland has now become a story that is continuing to make its way around the world and 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 hopefully will have as powerful effect then as as it's having right now as as you relate this story, Brooke. Thanks for sharing it.
0: Well, praise God. yeah, i'm I'm grateful to be able to share it. And I actually had reached out to her yesterday. We've kept in touch. Mm. Um, she now remarkably is a Catholic Napro technology nurse. So she helps others. Um, oh, there you go. You know, under the beauty and the teaching of our church to be <coughs> able to create and um, you know, have have life. and and so that's really beautiful. But also, too, you know, it hits home because I think forgiveness is an act of hope. We hope for the faith in God that he will provide. And if we don't forgive, it means we're holding that grudge and our heart is not free. And I think this is the paradox of the gospel, the very thing, or the, the cross, I should say, the very thing that was meant for our demise is the very thing that our Lord turns into victory. And so the fact that not only did she live and survive, but she has gone on to have a family and to not be bitter about it. And I I think it's Hebrews, and I don't want to mischaracterize the context of the scripture, but it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And sometimes when we hold on to unforgiveness, we're poisoning everyone else around us because we're so angry and we cannot let it go. And why do you think, Father, we can't let it go? What are we receiving from that, that we want to hold on? Is it pride? We want to be right, and we feel that it's a matter of justice?
2: Uh, that could be. That's a very common idea, I think. Uh, you know, when someone hurts you, uh, the, the, our faith has two ways of responding. And one is forgiveness, and the other is reconciliation. And those are two different words, and they divide, they really describe two different Uh, behaviors. Forgiveness is simply an act, uh, is simply a promise of no revenge. You hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you, but we're not friends. (laughs) To be friends, we have to reconcile. So when Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. And what he's saying is, Father, these people are killing me. I don't want you killing them. But all of you people... (laughs) We're not reconciled. You shouldn't be crucifying anyone. So forgiveness is something we can do even in the midst of the hurt. Jesus did it on the cross. We can say, you know, I'm not going to, you hurt me, I'm not going to hurt you back. But in order for us to be reconciled, uh, we have to go through several steps. And the first is that the hurt has to stop. Um, And then the second thing is, we kind of like to know, why did you do this? What happened? What's the story here? Why are you doing this? And the third step is a promise of amendment. You're not going to do it anymore. And then the fourth is, if you've damaged something, you have to repair it. Now, if you think about it, our sacrament is not called the sacrament of forgiveness. It's called the sacrament of reconciliation. Because at the moment of our sin, God forgives us. He says, you've, hurt, you know, you've done this damage to yourself. I'm not going to hurt you anymore. So there's, there's no revenge on the part of God. But in order to reconcile... We have to stop the sin. We tell the priest perhaps why we did it in confession. In the act of contrition, we say that promise of amendment, we're not going to do it anymore. And then the penance is a kind of a restoration. You know, if we've broken something, we repair it. If we've stolen something, we return it. Uh, If those are not possible, then we say these prayers. So reconciliation is a a process um, of, you know, stopping the hurt, giving an explanation of why it happened promise of amendment, I won't do it anymore, and repairing any damage. Now, the problem is sometimes the person who hurt you has died or is out of country or, or doesn't want to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way it goes. It, it, it Possibly can be, sometimes there is no reconciliation, but there can always be forgiveness. Forgiveness means I'm not, I don't wish you harm. But, you know, if there's no reconciliation, maybe we just go our different ways. Um, and uh, certainly if there's any physical danger, you absolutely go a different way. We are never allowed to allow physical violence in ourselves. So, yes, we can forgive right away. Reconciliation, you know, hopefully happens. It often doesn't, and we just have to accept the fact that it takes two to reconcile, and if one person doesn't want to do it, then you just move on. And Jesus is very clear about that. In, in this 10th chapter of Luke, he tells his disciples you know, when you go out to preach and teach, if it's accepted, great. If not, move on. Don't take it personally, just move on. So I think all of these, you know, are very, very powerful ideas that, you know, pretty much we, we can use these ideas pretty much each and every single day because almost every day, every day at some point some, something's going to happen that hurts our feelings. And so knowing how to recon, how to deal with forgiveness and reconciliation Uh, And then what does it really mean to love our enemies? These are the most practical lessons that anyone can have, I think, each and every day.
0: And too, it strikes me the beauty again, as you talked about reconciliation, the sacrament. Mm -hmm. When we go to confession, we are reconciled. Our Lord brings us back into friendship with him. And that is that magnanimous mercy. Uh, I want to take before we are up against a break, but Rudy has been patiently holding and exploring forgiveness, uh, letting God work in our situations and our lives through RCIA, and joining us now from California. Welcome to the program, Rudy.
1: Thank you very much. Morning. Good morning. Morning. Uh, Yes, I do belong to the RCIA uh, team, and one of our retreats is on hope, faith, and love, and so I get what I have to do, the love section. One, I go over St. Valentine's and about where we got the love letters and all that, and then two, I go with the three loves of god and then the other part the activity is that i asked the rcia program because since it's a foundation and a formation is they're going to write a letter to someone but not to someone that they love but someone that they hurt or distance themselves and they'll write the letter and i'll tell them it will be up to you when you want to send it or how you want to send it but the love that god has given us you need to express that love to the other people to heal. And that's one of the activities that I have on the RCIA program.
2: Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty dramatic. And that's, uh, uh, you know, kind of dealing with the issue right up, right up front. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, uh, how has how it gone? How, how has the experience been? How, how do the members uh, of the RCIA... Yeah, go ahead. We're very
1: well. The first time I did it, the deacon's wife... She actually came to me and she goes, you know, that actually helped me to heal with my sister. She goes, mm-hmm. I never thought about doing something like that. So, like I said, since it's a formation, you're getting into that love you have it in their hearts for future reference.
2: It really is remarkable. I, you know, I can imagine the people sitting there thinking like, who am I going to write to and, and what am I going to say? Uh, and then there's the decision. To, have you had people actually send the letter?
1: Uh, that I don't know, because like I said, I, I give we'll it, up it up to, to them. them. I think, yeah, it's like I, like I told them, it's up to you if you want to send it or keep it there, but it's going to be up to you. We're not pressuring you that you have okay. to send it. So that's what I'm having their love to push it.
0: Yeah, that's I think that's really good, though, because it's a tangible action step that sometimes when there is unforgiveness or, again, the um, idea of loving your enemies that that we are called to do, you can have these fractured relationships or a, a pain, unforgiveness, and years can go by. You don't realize it. Your heart gets hardened. You decide you're no longer going to speak. The relationship is severed or severely wounded. And it's not just days and weeks and months. It's years that can go by. And it's easy to just kind of stuff that down, move on, not really talk about it, but mm-hmm. to Rudy offer these beautiful souls an opportunity to sit and reflect and also I think take responsibility too sometimes. Did I play a part in this? What is the block that's resisting that's uh, that I have up that I'm not willing to have docility of spirit and Mercy, You know, we are called, the spiritual work of mercy is to bear wrongs patiently. And I'm not saying that these are frivolous or small. They may be very justified, but I think that's, Father, a great idea to put into practice what is so difficult. Yeah.
2: You know, what, I would just add one practical step to this. Uh, and thank you, Rudy, for sharing this. This really is a remarkable RCIA practice. But because hurt, being hurt, is uh, involves so many emotions um, that... uh I would say that it's best to write out the letter, and then consider it simply your first draft, uh, and then rewrite re- it again, uh, because you want to make sure that the that the message that you're delivering uh, is not only is from your heart but also from your head, because sometimes if you write emotionally, sometimes the phrases come out wrong, can be extreme, uh, and can be unclear, uh, so maybe the first attempt at it. You know, kind of get the sense of what you're saying, and then make a second draft. Uh, write, uh, make it that your first draft, and then write a second letter that maybe puts your thoughts in in a better order, more clear, less ambiguous, and and more powerful. I think so. And again, that's only because being hurt causes so much emotions and and uh, feelings that it can you know cloud the way that we express ourselves. So I think it's a beautiful exercise you know, to do in the RCIA class. But if you're actually going to send a letter, consider the first letter your first draft and then write a second one that uh, that you may find is, is really much more accurately expressing what you want to say. So that's, that's a kind of a practical suggestion that I would say.
0: Wise counsel. Thank you so much. Father Dave Heaney is with us. God bless you, Rudy. Thank you for that. And I love your comment too, Rudy, because it is, again, it's an action step. A lot of times we are able to articulate our faith and it sounds good, but working that muscle of actually following through with some of these difficult calls is is challenging. And so to hear the practical way, of course, that's the beauty of the life and the witness of the saints. And even going back, how often I have revisited the story of Alex and that magnanimous action of choosing to forgive her mom. And speaking of that, I want to hear your lumber yard story, Father, about turning the other cheek, bearing insults. We'll get to that after the break. Our topic today is love your enemies and forgiveness, unforgiveness. Father Dave Heaney is our spiritual director. My name is Brooke Taylor filling in for Patrick Conley. Have you experienced loving your enemies? One of the most difficult spiritual works of mercy, bear wrongs patiently, but it can be hard to do, but one of the most liberating aspects is as we are conformed to Christ. Our Lord asks this of us, the saint do it. And often it's hidden. We don't hear about maybe these moments on a grand scale, which is what I appreciate about Rudy and being able to explore this topic and the impact that it can have on in our interior lives. Do you have a story? 188-914-9149. It's the number to call. We'd love to hear from you. Back After the break here on the inner life on Relevant Radio and the app, stay with us. Welcome back to the Inner Life, helping you grow deeper in your spiritual journey. It's Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. Our spiritual director for today is Father Dave Heaney, pastor of St. Bruno Catholic Church in Whittier, California. And today is Friday. So on Fridays, we recall our Lord's passion. We pray the sorrowful mysteries, and that is an eternal treasure to bring us into meditating on our Lord's forgiveness, the pain of Peter's denial, the betrayal of Judas, the scourging at the pillar, the encounter with Dismas, the good thief on the cross, and the incredible ways that our Lord forgave beyond all comprehension. It is the call of the Christian to imitate Jesus in this way. Our studio line is one 914 9149 And we are here for the hour. If you have a story or an insight that you would like to offer. Again, the topic is loving your enemies. And we've been working through Matthew 5, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, talking about what Jesus asks of us, Matthew 5, 38 through 48. And Father, we began to set that foundation by reading a portion of that scripture. Mm -hmm. I want to get to the next part where he says, I say to you, offer no resistance to the one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well and that's a big one and often as you pointed out right out of the box how people mischaracterize that or perhaps you know take it out of context and they say but an eye for an eye and how he was fulfilling that and what can you clear it up and teach us what is Jesus suggesting here
2: one of the most important lessons of all, uh, and that, and again, it's so counterintuitive, and it's just people find it so kind of enraging sometimes. What do you mean? It sounds like we're meant to be Christian doormats and just kind of right. accept all these blows, and that's not what Jesus is saying is all, at all. It's very clear, and it's a kind of a forgotten detail, uh, when Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek. Now, if you think about it, in order, if you just imagine yourself now, just point to your right cheek. And if someone's facing you, um, they can't strike you on the right cheek. Uh, the only way they can strike you on the right cheek is a backhand slap. And a backhand slap is an insult. It's actually not a physical attack. It's an attack on your ego. It's an it's a insult to your dignity. And what Jesus is saying is your dignity comes from God, not this person across from you. So this person across from you cannot take it away. No one can take away your dignity because your dignity comes from above, it comes from God and not the people around you and not what people think of you. And so what Jesus is saying is that person can take away your dignity so the slap is not considered a wound at all. It doesn't hurt you at all. Uh, and so I think that's just the most powerful thing. So I, I'm just saying it in words, it sounds kind of counterintuitive. But I tell you, this happened to me uh, in a story that happened when I was in the seminary. I'll never forget it. It was just powerful. I'm glad I I experienced this before priesthood because I've carried it through my entire priesthood. But when I was in the seminary, I used to work um, in a lumberyard in the summertime, strictly manual labor. Here I am studying all kinds of highfalutin theology ideas all during this academic year. And then in the summer, I'm just doing manual labor at a a lumberyard. And this how, was the, it sounds
0: very Christ-like, Father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Working with wood and
2: Boy, also it was hot uh, and sacred hard sacred scripture. Work. Uh, but you know, this particular lumberyard. Most of the other employees were very, very tough. Sometimes violent people. This is during the Vietnam War. These sometimes these were Vietnam vets that were kind of damaged by the war. Uh, sometimes the police would come and take away one of our employees. It was a, it was a tough place. So we had all these kind of Ex felons and people on the run from the law and tough people and a seminarian. <laughs> mm. So it was, uh, you know, good physical labor. But I remember one summer there was tremendous anxiety because the word had come down that there was going to be a new owner and there would be some layoffs. And sometimes, what, typically, what happens is a lot of the anxiety amongst the employees is directed towards the most recently hired, most vulnerable person. And that's what happened. And I was sorry to see it, but, uh, and I'm, to my chagrin, I didn't do much about it, but the other employees would insult this kid, lie about him, make him look bad in front of customers, make him look bad in front of the, you know, uh, staff, and, you know, just treat him really, really bad. But what I noticed is that he was very peaceful through the whole thing. He never sought revenge. He never got back. He never got angry. And so one time I was working with him one time and I just said to him, I said, you know, everyone here treats you so badly, but you don't get mad about it. You know, doesn't it bother you that everyone treats you so badly? He looked at me and he said, no, not really. You see, I'm the son of the new owner. Mm. (laughs) I went, oh my goodness. And so I kind of laughingly said, well, just think of me as your best friend. But, you know, if you have a special relationship with the boss, it doesn't (laughs) matter what the other employees do, right? If you have a special relationship with a boss, your job is secure. Well, all of us have a special relationship with God. And if we have that special relationship with God and we work on it every day and we strengthen it every day, then we are able to weather the kind of stupid, silly insults that people, you know, present to us each and every day. Our dignity and self-esteem are secure. We know we are loved and treasured by the God of the universe. Only God can tell us who we are. He thinks we are worthy of laying down his life for us. And so that's a way that we can kind of take the insults that people give to us every day and kind of put them in context and say, you really don't know what you're talking about. The God of the universe is my best friend. That was the story that I that I remember from that lumberyard way back uh, before I was ordained 45 years ago. And and I think it's just, uh, it's kind of a a lived example of this remarkable passage from uh, the Sermon on the Mount.
0: Yes. And it it does sound like almost a parable. Uh, What a, what a fantastic lesson that was lived and experienced and really drives that home. And also when you talk about insults, it, it seems sometimes insults can be, in the grand scheme of thing, you, you think of injuries or um, actions against someone that could be so egregious, abused, you know, tremendous abuse, for example, and an insult just seems like, well, it's not a big deal. But those things can sometimes get lodged in our heart. And I almost think of it like as a blockage where when the artery is clogged, it is just not functioning. And I think that with regards to grace, where when we allow ourselves to get stuck and we are really angry by an insult it's like it gets lodged in our heart and the grace can't flow freely and we're the one the usually person who lodges the insult is just going on with their life and that actually happened to us recently is really interesting because I felt like the Lord showed me and it's like okay I have the grace to see this I get it and it was a situation where my husband and I were in the grocery store with with our daughter who has special needs and a gentleman came up and he said well what aisle did you get her on and my husband um just kind of laughed and he said she looks like she wasn't from the consignment section and i didn't hear him say that and i don't even know i don't think he meant anything by it but my husband heard it and he i just could see the color drain from his face and he was really angry and he said did you hear that and so then we both proceeded to stew about it and the man was gone. He was going about his day and living his life. And I'm sure he didn't give two thoughts to what he said. He's just, you know, moving on to the next thing. But we were stuck and there was what could we do about it and so i think for and that's i think we all experience moments where it could just be a quick passing remark and it was like did they really say that and then we focus on that and that's what grows and of course the enemy when you look at spiritual combat he mm-hmm. wants that mm-hmm. because it causes us to doubt it causes us to lose our peace it causes us to become bitter in some cases and that can really grow And it impacts our mood. It might impact our ability to just offer a quick aspiration. Jesus, I trust in you. Lord, you take care of it. But these sometimes can actually have um, the most damaging effect, I think, these little things.
2: I think so. Uh, You know, those are kind of instant automatic reactions that we have when someone, you know, insults our family, insults our child, uh, insults us in some way. It's kind of the initial reaction that happens. It's kind of understandable. You know, how dare you say that? You know, what are you talking about? So that's when I think we can fall back on, on some advice that I think grandparents have been giving grandchildren for millennia, for millions of years. And that is this old-fashioned advice that sounds trite, but it is extremely powerful, and that is to count to 10. <laughs> yeah. Because what happens is the first thing that happens is we, we react emotionally. Which is understandable. And that's part of our, that's actually the part of our animal brain. That's where all input first goes through. It first goes through our, the lower part of our brain before it gets to our cerebral cortex. So if you simply count to 10, that allows the brain to kind of bring another set of uh, features to this issue that's more rational, more logical, more reasonable. So we kind of get out of our, you know animal reaction you know oh, how dare you say that we count to ten and then we say okay that guy was an idiot didn't know what he was talking about my child is beautiful my child is loved my child is loved by God and God loves me so you know once we get back into our head we get we get back into our you know reasonable mind we can kind of put things in context uh, that's just counting to ten and you know, sometimes you have to count to 100 <laughs> Or maybe counted a thousand, uh, but whatever it takes to, to get out of that first emotional reaction. Uh,
0: but at the same time, too, Father, I'm wondering yeah. the perimeters. There are, there is, there are times whether it's in a marital. Confrontation, or perhaps a parent to a teenager who's being obstinate and defying the fourth commandment, and and just being disrespectful to their parents, or a situation that might you know justice might demand a response, is there a good gauge of discernment of when do I say okay I am going to bear insults? And pray for those who persecute me. And when do you rise up and defend the weak? Or, for example, for the teenager that might be insubordinate and to respond again. But like you said, it's the emotion aspect that we want to try to analyze and not respond out of emotion, but out of charity, out of justice and mercy and virtue.
2: And don't forget, teenagers, as lovable as they are, often sometimes deliberately provoke their parents (laughs) to create uh, an emotional reaction. And so the smart thing for a parent to do is to not take the bait. You know, don't, uh, you know, fall into the trap. Um, you, you just never want to respond emotionally because that's generally when you're going to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing out of an emotional outburst. So sometimes you might have to walk out of the room for a second. Uh, whatever it takes to calm down and then act out of, out of reason. Um, and then, you know, once teenagers find out that they can't push your button... Uh, that they can't, you know, goad you into something or other, uh, then their behavior often stops uh, because they're not having any effect. So we just always want to make sure that we're acting reasonably uh, out of our reason because that's that's what makes us human beings. That's what makes us uh, successful. Emotions are good. You know, we use them as the fuel, uh, but not they don't determine the direction. So it's like putting gas in the car, emotions are like the gas in the car, it's, it's the energy and the fuel. But we are behind the wheel, making sure that we drive reasonably and rationally. Uh, so uh, count to 10, count to 100, walk out of the room for a second, come back. Uh, but just make sure that whenever we are responding to a, you know, a, a volatile issue, certainly involving hurt, uh, we, we don't want to respond emotionally. Because that's, that's just going to exacerbate it, make it worse, muddy the waters, and make it very, very confusing. So count and, to and ten.
0: I think, too, that's why it's so necessary that we frequent the sacraments, that we are in... Yeah you know focusing on our interior life so that we are prepared to respond there are so many nuanced situations and obviously again there's there's spiritual combat always where the enemy knows our vulnerabilities and our triggers and like you said with the teenager that might be trying to get a reaction that's what happens too in in the spiritual warfare aspect and so to constantly be receiving the graces from the sacraments to frequent adoration in the rosary, and so we're able to have an eternal perspective and God's grace in that moment as well, and and with the story that you shared about the lumberyard. And speaking of that, we have to take a break, but before we do, I want to get to Father Bill. He's on hold from Illinois and appreciated your story. I think has a question about that as well. Are you with us, sure. Father Bill?
1: I sure am. <laughs> so interesting story. But a question that passed my mind, especially since the theme of the conversation is forgiveness, did the son of the new owner, did he forgive those who were harassing and insulting him, or did he have his, uh, his father, the new owner, uh, fire them out of revenge?
2: You know, I don't know, because it's a summer job for me, so when the summer was over, I left. Uh, the new owner was coming in later, um, but again, you know, at that time, you know, I was completely unfamiliar with all these issues of forgiveness. And, you know, I was still in the seminary. I was uh, I was in the college seminary. So I had a, you know, a number of years before ordination. Uh, so the story has impact for me looking back on it. Now, I, looking back on it, I recognize all the wisdom that was there. But I, I don't recall... Uh, uh, you know what what happened to those employees uh, afterwards but it's a good question but my my sense is is that he didn't take anything personally he didn't he didn't feel the need for revenge he didn't feel the need to get back uh the, his job he just had a sense that his job was secure i think he had that kind of quiet confidence knowing that um these people these people that were insulting him are idiots and they ha- it has no consequence and he didn't take it personally because uh, his, his, he had a sense that his job was secure. I think that was the, that was the main thing that I remember looking back fifty years.
0: <laughs> and and that comes with trust, and I think there's a great lesson there too. You know, just yeah. our moving into a deeper place of trust in Christ. In, in our own lives Father Bill Thank you so much For your call I, I want to take a break And we've been discussing Forgiveness Loving your enemies Here on The Inner Life This hour Our spiritual director today Is Father Dave Heaney Author of Luke 10 Leadership How to Succeed in Parish Ministry The pastor of St. Bruno Catholic Church In Whittier, California And the phone lines are open one 914 I think we might be able To squeak in A few more calls here Do you have a story About loving your enemies About forgiving things that you've learned, things that you've struggled with. We'll be here uh, for the rest of the hour with Father Dave. I'm Brooke Taylor filling in for Patrick Conley here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the app. We'll be right back.
1: Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. Yeah. Okay.
0: July 17th through the 24th, 2024. Get ready for a transformative experience. The Eucharistic Congress in the heart of the Midwest will be taking place, and we invite you to be a part of it. The National Eucharistic Congress will take place in Indianapolis. The theme is Let's Show Up for Jesus. I love that. And you can meet your favorite show hosts. Join us for the Family Rosary across America every night on the main stage. Most importantly, join us for the 80,000 gatherings strong of other Catholics and adoring Christ enthroned in the Blessed Sacrament. You can get the latest information about the Congress. Sign up at relevantradio.com slash Indy, I-N-D-Y to be in the loop. And it's been... Quite a big Friday show here on The Inner Life as we cover quite a big topic. Uh, continues to confound and challenge many, and that is loving your enemies and those who persecute you, forgiveness. Our spiritual director willing to graciously walk with us this hour is Father Dave Heaney. I think we might be able to squeak a few more phone calls in. If you'd like to contribute, the number is one Now is the time to do it. My name is Brooke Taylor, filling in for Patrick Conley and... Is there a time where, by the grace of God, you did bear wrongs patiently and and through that fine peace? That's what we're talking about as we examine Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. And particularly, we're looking at 38 verses 38 through 48. And Father, you've had such rich insights as we talk about small grievances to big areas of forgiving and insults. But also, too, one thing I wanted to ask you with the time we have is... Could part of it, too, be where we don't forgive ourselves? We are so hard on ourselves. Again, going back to the diary of St. Faustina, that's how we started the show, what our Lord says about the furnace of his mercy, the ocean of his mercy, And, and we can trust him to give us the grace to let go, to cast our sins into the sea, but then perhaps... Is there a lack of faith where we don't believe it? We beat ourselves up. And then when someone does something to us, we be- beat them up too. And mm-hmm. maybe it's because that's all we've known. I know you talked a lot about emotions getting intertwined in there, but we've got to a move move to a place where there's a deeper trust in Christ. And so do you think that that's a aspect? And what do you say to the person who does struggle with that, with forgiving ourselves and past traumas and shame?
2: Yeah, we want to love our enemies even when the enemy is ourself. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, it is a tragedy when people can't forgive themselves, and it could be a habit of thinking because they, you know, they're they're around people that are not forgiving, that are unforgiving, so they just kind of internalize that. I often tell people that you know, look how easy God makes it to reconcile with Him. All you have to do is say your sins. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to, you know, do any manual labor. Uh, All you have to do is go to confession, and if you simply say your sins and you're sorry, your sins are forgiven. Now, why does God make it so easy? Because he wants you to move on. He doesn't want that sin to weigh you down. He wants you to understand that it's over. You may still remember it. Confession doesn't erase memories. But in the eyes of God, it is forgiven because he wants you to move on. So I think if we don't want to get ahead of God, if God makes it that easy to forgive, our, to forgive our sins, then we have to do the same for ourselves. If we acknowledge our sin, we're sorry, we make amends, and then move on. Now, remembering it doesn't change. You still can remember something, but we have to kind of put it aside as Jesus does and uh, and just kind of take him at his word. If that sin is forgiven, let it go, let it be forgiven, uh, and, and move forward. Um, I think that those ideas could help.
0: There's a caller question. Father, Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time forgiving the woman who pursued my father and broke up the family. They are both passed away now, but I don't know how to move on. Uh, Great question. Your thoughts, Father?
2: Again, we have the two ideas of forgiveness and reconciliation. So forgiveness simply means, you know, you don't wish this person harm. Uh, and I, I don't know if you meant if they said if the person was alive or not.
0: They both passed.
2: Okay, so it's a moot point uh, and there's no possibility of reconciliation. So uh, you, you can just recognize that, uh, that you know, you're not going to be able to reconcile with this person. Uh, it was a, you know, a bad thing that they did and, you know, kind of lingering damage. Uh, but I think the main thing is to just focus on that idea of no revenge um, and to let it go. Because if you don't, it can be very bad, not only for your soul but for your body. Kind of keeping resentment in actually can harm your heart, can harm your you know internal organs, because it's not the way God designed us to live. And if we don't live the way God designed us, it can be bad for our mental health, our spiritual health, and even and even our physical health. So it really just has, has to be something that you let go.
0: And, and there's so much to that also, because I think generationally there are family behaviors where mm-hmm. there might be generationally grudge holders, you know, or yeah. unforgiveness. And that can be a pattern that I guess you can look back, evaluate and see with God's grace, take this. And in today's Friday, so as we approach the weekend, this is certainly a good opportunity too to offer an invitation to visit the sacrament of reconciliation, get to confession this weekend. And I do think that that's a part of it realizing when 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 Jesus went before the Father and He stood in the most horrible garment, which is our mm-hmm. sins, He wore yeah. the garment of our sins before the Father, and how much He has forgiven us, I think. Then, when we reflect on that and the goodness of God in our lives, how can we not help? but forgive others uh, how he has forgiven us so magnanimously. And that's an important reminder. We are almost out of time. So I was hoping, Father, you might give us one final takeaway as well as your blessing.
2: Maybe just one more thing about that last case is that at least this person has died. At least we know this person themselves know exactly what they caused. And they know, they understand the truth of what their behaviors and their actions did. Uh, and so we uh, we pray for the repose of their soul. So um, I think that's it uh, that can be something of a consolation.
0: Um, I am going to see if we can squeak in Victor. We are really okay. pressed for time, uh, but I want to take him. Uh, Victor, you're on with Father.
1: Hi, Father. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, m- more recently, I was struggling with. Um, issue of forgiveness just because of the situation that uh, went with my mother's passing. But I recall the words that uh, uh, many years ago, Colonel Mahoney actually said at a mass where he was talking about forgiveness. And he said that when people forgive us, they uh, offend us once. But when uh, we fail to forgive, every time we remember that pain, we keep offending
2: ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the beautiful things about forgiveness and reconciliation is that it restores us to better health, you know, mentally, spiritually, and, and even physically. Holding on to resentment is a very, very damaging thing. God has made it very easy for us to reconcile with himself. Let us make it, you know, easy to reconcile with ourselves and uh, with the people around us. It's just a uh, better health all the way around.
0: Yes. Amen. Thank you, Victor. As we close, Father, could you give us your blessing?
2: Absolutely. Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you share with us each and every day, even at times when we are your enemy. We ask your blessing now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Father Dave Heaney, our spiritual director today on The Inner Life. Thank you. God bless you. My name is Brooke Taylor, and for Patrick Conley. Look forward to being with you Monday. We're going to talk about anxiety in the spiritual life. Thank you to producer Nick Sentovich. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is next here on Relevant Radio. God bless you.